Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Keeping the fact that I work in China crypto in mind, I have to tell you, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. Corona. I mean, it's just nuts. Uh, it really has been like out of a movie. Welcome back to The Breakdown, an everyday analysis breaking down the most important stories in Bitcoin, crypto, and beyond with your host, NLW. The Breakdown is distributed by Coindesk. Welcome back to The Breakdown. It is Monday, March 2nd, and today we are kicking off the week, kicking off the month with a special interview with Matthew Graham. Matthew is the CEO of Sino Global Capital, which is based in Beijing, and he has an interesting perspective as someone who is an American investor but based in China. Now, I think this perspective gives Matthew a really unique vantage point on a number of issues as it relates to the crypto markets, right? This is an industry that is from the get-go being birthed and growing up in different places differently, even though they are interconnected. And Matthew sits at the intersection of some of those different perspectives. So uh, I wanted to have him on for that reason alone, but obviously in the context of the world and the markets where they are, coronavirus is an overwhelming point that, that we just have to address. And so in this interview, I ask Matthew uh, a little bit about his perspective, having watched how uh, the China around him that he knows that he spent the last seven years in has reacted to coronavirus, and how is it or isn't it different than what our perception is here in the US. We discuss further the perception of Chinese investors in both the crypto and the regular markets around what the impact of coronavirus might be. But we also talk about more crypto-specific issues. We talk a little bit about what the difference is between 2020 and 2019 in terms of where the crypto industry in China is, what their focus is, what their level of maturity is. We talk about the Chinese digital yuan, the DCEP that is forthcoming, and what that might mean for the markets as a whole. We talk even about enterprise blockchain and why it's likely to be a huge area of investment for crypto companies once things start to come back online, and why the enterprise blockchain movement in China might look a little bit different than it did in the US. So a pretty wide-ranging interview and not very long. Again, I, I think that Matthew's perspective, just as simply as someone who is from one place but based in another, is a really valuable vantage point to understand the global realities of the crypto markets. So with that, let's actually just dive in and hear what Matthew has to say. All right, we are here with Matthew. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Nathaniel. Great to be on the pod today. 
we're going to dive into a lot of topics today, I think, in rapid succession. But just for context, can you share with the listeners just a little bit about who you are and, and maybe I think also just how you ended up investing in crypto from China? The first part of my career was uh, Wall Street TMT-focused hedge fund. But personality-wise, I've always been very driven to be in the, the engine of change. So in, if I had been a little older in 82, I'm sure I would have gone to Tokyo. In 97, I would have gone to Silicon Valley. But after B-School, I really wanted to be where the action was. And to me, that was China. For similar reasons, I, I was very attracted to blockchain, to crypto. So I've been in China uh, about seven years now. And for many years, we've represented international technology companies in China for strategic partnership and investment. The concept then was always that we would naturally and organically develop a sector competency. And once you start getting involved with blockchain, you're, you can't help but becoming more and more involved. And so very naturally and organically, we became focused on blockchain. Investing in international projects with Chinese strategic angles and such. How long have you been investing in or are involved in, in the crypto sector, the blockchain sector specifically in China? So we've been exclusively focused in blockchain for more than two years now. And we've been involved in blockchain in one facet or another since 2014. I remember, I think it was on Reddit when I first heard about crypto and it was like, that the pizza thing. I think that's the first time I, I learned about crypto and, and I've always followed it since then. The pizza that turned into a $10 million or $100 million pizza or wherever yep. it was. Let's take a suspension of reality for just a second and talk pre-coronavirus. I'm really interested, you know, obviously China since Libra has taken on a different role in the global mm. blockchain ecosystem, right? Or they, they've at least been intentional about shifting their own narrative within this. Can you just kind of give us your sense of, before we get into the coronavirus changes, how you saw the blockchain narrative and the digital currency narrative evolve from your perspective in China over the last kind of six months, nine months? You know, I think it's, it's important to understand that there are many different ecosystems and many different constituencies that play into something like that. So I think for some of the crypto OGs in China, it's just a question of what even is this? Is this crypto? Is it not crypto? How do we interact with something like DCEP? And people choose to do that in a number of ways. For some people, they saw it as an opportunity to introduce new people to crypto through kind of a halo effect. For other groups of people, they saw it as a business opportunity where they could service many of the companies such as Alibaba and Pingon, which is, is a huge insurance company that are trying to find ways to integrate blockchain into their business. For companies like Tencent and, and Alibaba that have huge existing digital payments businesses with Alipay and with Tenpay, which is WeChat Pay, I, I think there's a little bit of an undercovered story, which is that the Chinese government with DSAP is potentially competing with their enormously lucrative digital payments businesses. So there are, there are a lot of moving parts here. 
that are all kind of interacting. But the one thing then in common is that there are more eyes on blockchain and on crypto, both in China and internationally, as a result of, of DCEP and, of course, uh, Libra as well. It's been fascinating for me to kind of sit and watch. When I talk about this, about Libra with people, I feel like Libra was the starting gun, but really the thing that oh. made governments care in a lot of ways was China's response to Libra more than Libra yeah. itself. China shrugged it off like the U.S. initially shrugged it off. It would yeah. be a very different conversation today. Sure thing. Uh, as backdrop to that, by the way, it is important to understand that the Chinese government had been researching and working on this behind the scenes for years. So mm -hmm. they had four or five years where they were doing testing and research and I wouldn't say stealth mode because many people, including us, knew about it, but, but they, in a very low-profile way, were working on DCEP for four or five years. And it was a question of timing. The Libra announcement may or may not have up their timing, but this is something for sure that was going to happen. As opposed yeah, to just they saw Libra and they felt threatened or felt like they had an impetus to do something and then they made an announcement and then started. It wasn't, was not like that. It was already in the works for four or five years. It created context for them to kind of hurry up and finish, it feels like, in a lot of ways. Sure. We could talk about that a lot, but I think this is kind of relevant. We were, you know, at the beginning of January, turn of the year, everyone's writing their, you know, prediction post for 2020, and a lot of the conversation <laughs> is around... We all have to rewrite that already. Yeah, right? It's a... Why they call them unexpected, right? But so, yeah. so uh, you know, it's it's all kind of Libra and, and DCEP and what, whatever it's going to be and the digital currency battles. And then coronavirus happens. What has your experience been just as, as someone who's living there and having watched it unfold? But then I'm, I'm particularly interested in kind of, you know, the, yeah. the, the weird schizophrenia that we've had, not just in the crypto markets, but in the larger markets yeah. as well of, not reacting, not reacting, not reacting, at least uh, in the U.S., in Europe, yeah. while this hugely significant event is taking place in China. Walk through the story, you know, of, of how, how you saw this unfold or your perspective on it. So as backdrop, I mean, we both work in the craziest industry, right, is blockchain, is crypto. And being in China as an international person is, is also very exciting, shall we say. Keeping the fact that I work in China crypto in mind, I have to tell you, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. Corona. I mean, it's just nuts. Uh, it really has been like out of a movie. As backdrop, the, the stories that filter out into the West, if anything, a little under-exaggerated. And I, I think it's important to understand this is nuts. <laughs> so what happened... Uh, initially, obviously, we had a few news reports start to trickle out, and there was a situation in Wuhan, which is uh, a city probably a little bigger than Chicago, even though it's not one of the very largest cities in, in China. It still has probably, offhand, I want to say 10 million people. We had some initial news reports, and we had some concerns and things like that. And then we had Chinese New Year coming up, which is the biggest holiday of the year. And you get, you know, more than a week off. It's also the biggest migration period of anywhere in the world on an, on an annual basis because you have tens of millions of people 
that go to their ancestral home and they, they spend time with their families, etc. So you had this vacation period coming up and you had a few news reports about something maybe wrong in the city of Wuhan. And all of a sudden, just boom, where it just exploded. And it's been all, the coronavirus exploded. And in terms of attention, in terms of what was the national discourse here in China, it exploded as well. And it basically hasn't stopped for five, six weeks now. That has been the topic of the day, every day. And I think it's also important to understand that the country for most of that period of time, country with the biggest population in the world, 1.4 billion, it has just stopped. Many, many people have spent that entire time indoors, like literally just having food delivered and not leaving. I mean, people are scared. And this is all across China. I'm about 1,500 kilometers from Wuhan now. We, we have a, a regional office in southern China, and I've been, I've been hanging out here. And despite being 1,500 kilometers away from the epicenter of the virus, this, this is also a city of, of millions of people where I am, and the, the streets are deserted. It's just like, it's really like a movie for weeks. And I, I know people who have literally not even left their apartment during that time. I've never seen anything like this ever. I was not, obviously in China, I was not here for, for SARS, but from what I understand, this is something very, very different. Picking up from that, what is the well, conversation like among Chinese investors, right? How is it differing from the conversation that we're having in, in the West? Investments are on hold and everyone's trying to understand what's going on. As with much of the, the supply chain, which is impacting things internationally, as with much of China, just things are on hold. For example, a, a VC buddy of mine who's um, he's one of the most famous angel investors in China. And so he's doing things like organizing seminars with medical professionals so he and his circle can have a better understanding, almost like teach-ins from epidemiologists and other public health experts. He's almost having teach-ins, you know, like they, like they do at, at Google where they'll, they'll have famous people come in to, to educate uh, on different topics. So he's been doing things like that as opposed to, you know, focusing on investments. And I think in many ways, that's what much of Chinese society is doing right now. Everything's on hold. Only in the past few days, have there been some small signs of people starting to be a little less afraid and, and wanting to get back to normal life? Only in the past few days have there been signs of that. I mean, has that been kind of shared? I mean, I, I don't know if there's any different perspective among Chinese crypto investors, if they're seeing this differently, or is it all just part of the same thing at this point? Certainly different elements of society are viewing this through different angles. I do think that Chinese crypto investors, they're trying to see to some extent if this is something that they should be speculating on. Should they be going long or short? And people in China are all of a sudden are watching S&P 500 futures, which, you know, to trade crypto and you have all kinds of things going on. But I think it's everything is Corona. That's just everything for weeks. I feel like this is a, 
continuously evolving scenario. So let's, to the extent that we can look beyond Corona, I'm interested in your take, how the markets are evolving in general, right? Like what is different about 2020 crypto, 2020 blockchain, as opposed to 2019? Um, We were talking just before the show about about a couple of the things that, that are interesting to you. Sure. So I, I think in 2018 and maybe 2019, I think people were still a little bit, a little bit hungover and wondering what the heck happened into all their money in 2017. I, I think it was a transition period for sure. And people were trying to say, well, ICOs obviously didn't prove sustainable. What if we do IEOs and, and things like that? And from our perspective, it's very healthy that we've moved on from all of that because I, I don't think there was a, a big difference between IEOs and ICOs. To me, that's the repackaging. So I think there's been a transition period. And I think that finally, we're really starting to see signs of a healthier market in many ways. For example, the transition from visionaries to cowboys to speculators and now professionals, professionalization. When I say professionals, it's not necessarily better or worse. I, I think visionaries are probably the most amazing people and cowboys are the most interesting, right? But mm-hmm. the new phase is that we're really starting to see professionalization of the space, which is a very healthy part of the maturation process. And I think we're really starting to see tremendous real innovation, especially in terms of the decentralized finance despite the setbacks that we have here and there with different attacks and such, that's ultimately only going to make these platforms and these protocols and these innovations even stronger. So it's been a turning of the page overall. I think things are are really developing recently in a healthy manner overall. So what are you guys looking at? Like, what are you interested in from an investment standpoint, if you're you're allowed to speak about it? So the, the most important aspect to us is the potential Chinese strategic angle. And so we are always laser focused on investments where it makes sense for China and where we can add strategic benefit. That's what we never compromise. We tend to be agnostic on many different other aspects in terms of seed versus series A or B, in terms of the different focus on uh, of the project, but we never compromise on, does this make sense for China? Is this something that's potentially undervalued or something that potentially could have a new growth trajectory because it could be introduced to the Chinese market? That's, that's what we really want to see. In that context, how much of it is infrastructure versus end products? What I'm interested in is kind of where your, your sure. sense of the stage of development that we're at. So that, that's where we can be very agnostic. We, we want to see something that makes total sense for China, is not in China yet, and where we can bring it a, a huge strategic benefit. We're agnostic on many other aspects. But mm-hmm. for example, we announced today our investment into FTX exchange, which we're super excited about. And to us, that's, that's just perfect because it, it has a world-class team that's enormously professional and that we've gotten to know extremely well. They've got a clear differentiation in terms of their product. We think it has a great fit with industry trends. 
they are placing a huge premium on the Chinese market, but haven't fully captured that value yet. To us, that's a, a great example of what we look for. How do you think, from, from your vantage point today, what, how does the rest of the year play out for you know, this kind of the crypto or blockchain um, with the China-centric perspective? Are we through the worst? Is it still impossible to tell? Where do you think the real focus will be for you know, the next part of the year? Sure. So for China specifically, I think that once we turn the page from COVID-19, I guess it's called now, the primary focus will, will be integrating blockchain with different enterprise businesses in China, I think will be a, a huge trend. I think it's very likely that China, by the end of the year, will be way ahead of much of the West in that regard. And a large part of that is because of the unique nature of China's economic system, where if the government chooses the strategic imperative, it's really a top-down economy, right? And so what we're likely to see is the same thing that we've seen play out in many other industries, such as solar, where the government decided that solar energy was a strategic imperative. And we had this massive investment and overinvestment in solar-related businesses it's going to, to lead to, to huge take up. It's going to lead to a lot of waste, but it's also likely to lead to Chinese companies leading the way in terms of integrating blockchain into their enterprise business in many unique ways. I think that's going to be a massive trend that possibly hasn't been fully realized in the West. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like in, in the West, the enterprise blockchain uh, idea is on not just a narrative downswing, but is almost cynical at this yeah. point. Yeah, exactly. Right. Everybody kind of like took a crack at it and it, they had mixed results and they did a lot of different test cases and, and things like that. And it didn't really seem like it was working too well for them. And a lot of people took a step back in the West. Right. And, and that's quite different in China where the government is saying, look, 5G and blockchain, that's what we're doing this year. So you're going to go do it. It's a top-down economy. That, that's the way things work. So I think many of those efforts will lead to nothing. Category number two, a lot of companies, if they, they don't necessarily want to follow that, they will try to label things as blockchain that really aren't blockchain. If you look under the hood, but then category three is that there will be a lot of very interesting real use cases that come out of it, if only because of the massive investment that's likely to result from this government strategic imperative. Yeah, I mean, if, if nothing else, it does create a, a, an additional external incentive to really try to do things. I mean, I think that the problem in some ways is that people's interpretation of the first enterprise blockchain boom here or in the, in the West, in the US, was that it was sort of cynically trying to capture the larger excitement around crypto markets and just kind of get those FOMO dollars. And to yeah. some extent, you know, you are still talking about an external motivation, but at the same yeah. time, it's a, it does create a, a little cauldron for experimentation that could have more durability mm. and, and potential yeah. for outcome. Yeah, I, I think there, there, there's definitely some overlap between those two types of incentives. But the bottom line, I think, is that if there's a lot of government pressure on major enterprises, 
to incorporate blockchain into their business models. There are likely to be some unique things that result from that that we haven't necessarily seen in the West where incentives are more narrowly focused on the profit model. Interesting and weird times. It's, it's so funny to almost like try to clear enough space in the context yeah. of, uh, of the larger kind of macro activity right now to actually talk about these things as though they'll be coming mm. right back on the pike. But really appreciate you taking some time today to, to give your view from, from where you sit. And hopefully, you know, things starts to break in, in a more positive direction, although it doesn't necessarily seem likely just yet. Thanks, Nathaniel. Great to be on the pod today. As I mentioned towards the end of that interview, it is really difficult in some ways to get beyond the overwhelming macro context that, that is shaping all of our conversations, right? Talking about enterprise blockchain in China as though, you know, huge parts of the economy weren't still shut down is a, a little weird. But I do think it's a good reminder that this too shall pass, even if it passes in ways that are incomplete or devastating. And the world will go on, and markets will go on, and building will go on, and entrepreneurs will go on. So getting that sense of where the emphasis might be once we get through this global challenge is, I think, really important. So uh, I appreciate Matthew taking the time to join the podcast today, and I appreciate your time for listening. I think that this week, you know, there's no way to escape the continued shadow of the coronavirus, the corona of the coronavirus, all on our conversations, right? We're just seeing the first confirmed cases in New York City, and it doesn't seem likely to stop there. So that will be a background text, but we also will continue to see just about and tell stories of how the markets continue to move forward and how crypto markets continue to move forward. So I hope that you hang out this week. Uh, I hope that you hang out this March. And uh, until we're back tomorrow, peace, guys.